It is really going to be so much fun. It's going to be a blast. Get your kids signed up. This is, I mean, you really want to be a part of this. The kids are going to learn about the Lord, going to encounter his Holy Spirit. And so, you know, make it happen. Just And make it happen for your neighbor's kids. Get permission first, but make it happen for them as well and so that people can grow in the relationship with God. Yeah, it looks like five days of free child care. You know, it's like, oh, that's just our trick. We just want to get your kids so that we can just love on them, so they can teach them about the love of God and to experience the presence of God. And we promise you, we will return to you on that Friday, a, a child that's growing and excited about the things of God. That's what you want. So let me encourage you, sign up while you can. We have a limit on how many kids we can take, um, but please sign up as soon as possible. It'll be a great place for your kids. I will tell you what's not a great place for your kids, and that's in here this morning. Um, let me just give you a little bit of a warning. If you have not had the talk with your kid, I encourage you that you, um, this may not be the best place. If they are junior high or older, this is a perfect place for them to be because they already know about all this stuff, right? You guys know all about this. Yeah, so, so let me encourage you. Today's going to be good. It's going to be really, really good. You know, I've been talking about Zion, and I've been actually talking about Zion National Park how beautiful it is, the experience that you've had. How many people have been there? If you put your hand up, Zion, okay, all right. How many of you have been to Yosemite? Yosemite, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, how about um, Grand Tetons? Anybody Grand Tetons? Okay, got a couple. Well, you folks are getting around, that's, that's good. Um, then, uh, let's see, what's another one? Francis Marion Forest? Come on, okay, a little local yokels there, that's good, that's good. How about Yellowstone? Yellowstone? Okay, same people. Wow, okay. Well, you folks need to get out more, all right? It's an amazing, beautiful country that we've got out there. And, but I went to Zion with Susan and, some, and my grand, some grandkids. My grandkids went out there. It's like somebody's grandkids came along. And so we went out there with the grandkids, and I was all ready to great, get some great photos. But like I told you, I chickened out because of the heights. And I had seen all the photos and all the videos on YouTube about you got to do this hike, you got to do this hike, amazing photos, sunset, sunrises, gorgeous. And then I was ready to go, but when I got there, I just totally chickened out. I was in Zion, but I didn't experience everything that Zion was experiencing. So some people here, you may even be here if you've been there, and you're like, I don't know what the big deal is. I'm willing to bet if you've got a, I don't know what the big deal was, you didn't go on the trails. Because if you went up to Angel's Landing, you would realize that there, it's a big deal. You know, so for most of us, we, we might not experience the best part of it because we don't take the trails. And what we've learned, that's really how it is with God, too. That most of us, through our relationship with God in Christ Jesus, we are part of Zion, which Zion in Hebrew means marked. We have been marked by God for new life to become new creations in Christ, to know him, to walk with him, to be acquainted with him. We have been invited into the park to experience God. But for most of us, we're riding the tram. We're eating at the cafeteria. We're staying for a day and then not really hiking any of the trails. For a lot of us, we've gone to church a couple times, maybe read our Bible for, for a little bit and just decided, okay, I'm saved I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's pretty much it. Now I just kind of slide out until I die. And we don't experience the wonder of God. We don't experience the greatness of God in our marriages, in our, in our parenting, in our, in our jobs, in our vocations, in our, in our minds, in our lives. 
We don't experience the beauty that is God. Why? Because a lot of us don't take the trails. We learned last week about Moses and, and uh, Joshua, that they were the leaders of Israel, and Israel ends up at the mountain of God in the middle of Sinai, and, and they're there, and the people are like, hey, you guys go on up and talk to God. We're going to stay down here in the parking lot. We're going to eat some cafeteria food, and we're just going to hang out here with God. You go up and figure out God for us, and then come on down. Well, they do go up the mountain. They do take the trail up the mountain, and Moses' face is glowing in the dark because he encounters God. They get the Ten Commandments written with the hand of God. I mean, you know, (laughs) just imagine what that would get on eBay today. I mean, that's like some serious stuff. And so they get all that, and uh, they're encountering God while parked at the base of the mountain in the RVs and in the parking lot, and they're having their their barbecues and all that other stuff, it's it's the people of Israel. And they don't encounter God. They don't experience all that God is. But Moses and Joshua do. They encounter it. And so for a lot of us, we're we're just not taking the trails. We're just glad to be in the park, and it's awesome to be in the park. But God wants us to experience life and life abundantly. And you're kind of wondering, where's that? I want to go to that park. Well, you're already in it. You're in Zion if you are in God through Christ Jesus. You're already in. Now it's time to start walking some trails. So this week, we're going to talk about a a really tough uh, trail, a hard trail. Um, So when I know that I'm going to talk about something that's really difficult or challenging, I begin to think about who's going to affect. Uh, And this one is pretty much, I've worked some numbers on it. It's going to be about 82 to 83% of you are going to be are really going to be challenged by this this uh, insight today. You may be firmly planted in the kingdom of God, but this still could rock your world. This could really challenge some things in your own personal life. Matter of fact, uh, it will probably affect you more if you are a follower of Jesus Christ than anyone else. And I'm talking about the trail in God's kingdom that He wants us to walk, called marriage. I'm not talking to those who are not in Zion. I'm not talking to another park. I'm talking, and the scriptures are going to be talking to those who have been marked by God, who have been called by God, and want to walk in the things of God. And they want to walk in the trails of Zion that God has marked out. So today you may get offended. Um, And you probably should, because... Whenever What we're going to be talking about is what you love and how you love it, and particularly into relationships. And so whenever anybody talks about what you love and how you love that person, that should get into your business. I mean, it should get into you. And if, and if all of a sudden it exposes something about you you don't like, well, that's probably going to churn up some stuff. Because I would question if you're really into this love, if, you know, it's not a touchy subject for you. So... So whenever we talk about things about intimacy and love and, and marriage and things like that, this should be of utmost importance to you, and it should get into you. And, then, and it will probably, to some degree, I really think by the time it's, it's over, not today, but also next week, that it, it will challenge you. And I will tell you this, walking with God now for something like 40-ish, 40 years, um, God does his best work when he offends me. You know, there's a lot of times we walk along and I'll kind of just like, hey, God and I get along, we're doing great. Uh, I don't really walk like that. But, but there are times like that you just kind of walk along and, 
And then um, there are times when God be like, hey, listen, you and I need to talk. And it's like, I don't, I don't like your attitude here, or you need to stop doing that. You need to stop talking to them that way. And, and I'll be like, ooh, yeah, yeah. It's like, but I know the scripture that says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. So today, God is not looking to destroy anybody. God is not looking, I, I would say God's not looking to hurt anybody, but I, I really can't say that. I, that um, he will lovingly wound you today. And it would only be right for him to, if there's some place we've gone astray on this issue, then we need to be brought back. And sometimes that may challenge some of our presuppositions. And so I've already mapped out, I've been thinking this out for a long time. I've already mapped out your five options today. Um, so I, I know that you've got like five options on what you hear today and how you can respond. So I kind of worked them out so that maybe you'd be ready to embrace one of them. Uh, the first response could be this. Pastor Paul doesn't know what he's talking about, but he's really a nice guy. I will just smile back, and I'll see him next Sunday. Okay, so, so you could listen today, and that's your, your response. I get this one a lot. Number two, I don't care what the Word of God says, but I still want Jesus, even though he is called the Word of God. That's a very popular one. I want Jesus, just don't want the Bible, just don't want God, even though Jesus and the Bible are kind of like the same thing. Then, um, I will go to a different church, one that shows me, uh, which shows that God agrees with me. Okay, that is your possibility that you'd be like, yeah, I'm just going to go to another church where they agree with me. Um, another one is, you may say, I didn't know any of this, and I need more insight. That's a pretty good place to be. You know, that's, that's not bad, because I'm always gaining insight. I don't know everything, and sometimes it'd be like, huh. Okay, you just showed me something that I didn't know. I want to grow in insight. And fifth, you may respond, I need to start walking God's trail immediately, even if I end up alone, but I'll never really be alone. So that may be one of your responses that you'll be like, it's almost like words don't seem like they go together, but crap, I need to start following God. But it really is sometimes like that. It's like, wow, I really need... To, to walk right on this. You may be here and you say, well, I'm not married, so this doesn't pertain to me. I'm gonna go someplace else for the next two days. Um, this really does. You need to know the trail before you hike it. You really do. Uh, and that's funny because I do like hiking. I like going places. And you'll see people, especially at national parks, and, and that might be just a little bit older than me, though that changes every day. And, and, the, and they'll have their osprey little backpack, and they'll have their little walking sticks and all this other stuff, and, and uh, it, they'll take them like, like nine hours to get ready. They'll get their camel pack with the little thing that comes around, and they'll be sucking water. And then they'll, they'll walk for a little bit, and then they'll go for about half a mile, see the pond, and then they turn around and walk back, and, and that's all this. You need to know the, tra- the, the trail before you hike it. You need to know what you need before you hike it. So if you're not married here today, for me to talk about marriage is a blessing for you. Because you, you, know, you need to know what you're about to get into. You need to be aware of what happens. And so marriage is a trail that God loves. And he uh, uh, um, loves it so much because it does so many beautiful things in your life. It provides the deepest level of intimacy, industry, and companionship that you can experience on this planet. It reflects who he is. 
and how he loves people and how he particularly loves his people. Marriage is a big deal for him. It constructs a substructure of of, uh, society and community and the basis of being in the marriage. And and it helps us learn how to interact with people and to, to overcome conflict and to work together on a particular goal and vision for our lives. So, so it's a really big deal to God. And that's why there's a trail marked out. That's why he marked out the trail. But all of this is not the result of the words, by the authority of conferred upon me by the church of Jesus Christ and the laws of the state, I pronounce you husband and wife, no longer two, but now one in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, and then we think, wow, we're in marriage. There we are. We've arrived. And for a lot of us, that, that's what it does. No, marriage God's way is a trail that is walked, that has been marked out by God. And remember, any trail that we walk with God will constantly challenge our feelings. It will challenge your upbringing. It will challenge your identity. It will challenge your desires. It will challenge your proclivities or your inclinations. And it will go right to the places that you love. That's what's hard about this, is that we want to kind of keep God in the heaven category, in the make me money category, keep me healthy category, but don't mess with my love category. And we're going to find that God's trail walks through and addresses the issue of what you love, who you love, and how you love that person. So what does marriage trail of God look like? Now, if you go into most national parks, and I recommend this, that you will always come to a trailhead, and the trailhead will be laid out, and it will look something like this. This is actually one from Acadia National Park uh, uh, Forest up in Bahaba, Maine, if you don't know how to say that. And, And here's one of the trails. And what it does is it lays out for you the elevation totals, how high you'll actually climb it all. It will show you some of the waypoints on the trail. It will issue warnings and uh, hazards that may be on that trail. If you've ever hiked through through, uh, Grand Tetons, it's really important to realize that there are going to be bears on that trail. There are incredible sights, beautiful lakes. Jenny Lake is an incredible place to go. Um, But there are bears. So there are signs on, do not go on this trail unless you have bear spray. And you have to have like this bear spray thing, costs about like 50 bucks. And the crazy thing is you only get one shot. It's not like mosquito spray where you, you know, you don't get a second shot. So you have to read, the bear is coming at you. It's a grizzly because that's what's there. And you've got to shoot at the bear at a certain place. And as soon as you pull the trigger, the whole thing empties and you got one shot at it. That's a pretty good thing to read before you hike in Yellowstone or you go into Jackson Hole area. You need to know what's going on in the trail. So when it comes to God's trail about marriage, we don't have anything to guess about. All the information's there. And today in our society, we're kind of like, I wonder what, what does God feel about this? What does God be like? As if we're like, got to discover it, you know, or like got to make it up. And it's like, oh no, it's, it's already been at the trailhead. It's always been at the trailhead. 
This trail has been there since for the last 6,000 years of humanity. It's been there, it's been marked out, and it's very clear. So really all we, we're doing today is we're going back to the trailhead, and it's like, because we've kind of gotten a little confused about marriages, and I'm talking about the marriages in here. I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about some other group. I'm talking about us, about us understanding what the trail that God has us on. So when I looked at the, over the maps of marriage in Scripture, and I poured over this, I mean, this is something I've looked over a lot and a lot and a lot, for, I mean, really for years, and started bringing all the notes together, I saw three things defined about marriage. You know, it's like marriage isn't just one thing. There's like three things, and you really shouldn't be surprised there's three things. The Bible talks about a three-stranded cord, how stronger it is. Also, as we sang in our songs and worship, we talked about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it's not really surprising that we would find the, the substructure of marriage or the components of marriage kind of almost triune. And, and, and so, um, uh, so I started to d- dive into it because a lot of us think marriage is like one thing or this thing or that thing. But marriage is really three things. It's configuration, it's covenant, and it's character. Marriage has configuration, meaning that it expresses through its configuration, diversity and unity. It reveals something about God being one in three, being diverse but yet in unity. So that's one component of it. It's God covenant. It expresses eternality. It, it, it expresses resolve. And marriage also expresses character. It has character. It expresses goodness, love, and truthfulness. And so this should challenge you right away, because as we're going to be looking at configuration and covenant today, you may be like, oh, I got the configuration right. I got a good marriage. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. There are three components to to a good marriage. There are three components to the trail of God on the issue of marriage. These are all things that are very important to God. So today we'll talk about configuration and covenant, and then next week we'll have to give ourselves totally to to character. Because I'd be willing to say maybe today I'm going to hit about 45% of us today, and then, but next week, that's really where 65% of us are going to get hit. I don't know if that adds up to 100. No, it doesn't. But whatever that number is, add it up and it will add up to 100. It will get the rest of us. Because some of us may have configuration, right? Some of us may have had the words pronounced over us but we don't have character in our marriage. Our marriage doesn't have character. And we need to realize that it's not just about configuration. It's also about character. And so whereas you can fail in the one, you can also fail in the other. And all of these three are involved in a godly marriage. So let's talk about configuration. Um, Let me start off with this. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and he said, therefore a man will leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but now one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. This is what we call an explicit statement. That's when it's just like out there. No guesswork have to go on. This is a very explicit statement that's being made about the configuration of marriage. This statement comes to us from the book of Genesis. 
This statement is very clear about the configuration of marriage. But also we need to realize that this statement is being quoted by Jesus. This is not some archaic, antiquated idea that comes to us from the, the, the harsh Old Testament of Scripture, if you hold that idea. But rather, this is being quoted by Jesus himself about the configuration of marriage. Very explicit. There is no other explicit configuration to marriage ever, ever spoken in the 6,000 years of inspired text of God. Okay? So there's, there's no other configuration presented other than that. You're like, okay, well, that's interesting. But likewise, the scripture is loaded with verses that imply that marriage is between a man and a woman. So this is not a truth that says it verbatim, but when you put the data parts together, you, there's this, you can infer from what is being said here that he's talking to a man and a woman. For instance, the beginning story begins with Adam and with Eve. The ending story in the book of Revelations be, ends with Christ and his bride. The middle story is composed of other stories. There's the historical story. Husbands and wives like Sarah and Abraham. There are the instructional stories. Husbands love your wives, wives love your husbands that are written throughout the epistles. There are the metaphorical stories about marriage. In the parables of Jesus, in the, in the Proverbs of Solomon, in every single story and principle in the length of scripture implied or inferred there is no other configuration in marriage put forth over 6,000 years of inspired text that marriage is anything else other than between a man and a woman. The trail has been clearly marked. What we're doing in the 21st century it's not Zion. So if whatever, you, whatever wants to go on out there, whatever you want to do out there, that's cool. My job is not to villainize anybody. My job is to tell you the will of God. My job is to mark off, make sure that you saw the trail. You got your bear spray, right? You know, you got your, your, your fanny pack. Uh, it's not very flattering, but you got your fanny pack. Go ahead, you can go on, on this trail. My job is for you to realize what does the scripture say. There is no doubt that the scripture points out and describes the trail in this manner. Some would put forth the proposition that Jesus didn't condemn other kinds of configurations of marriage. Therefore, it must be okay. Jesus didn't talk about that subject and didn't condemn other alternatives but I want you to consider a couple things with that perspective. First, um, you would be creating tension between the Gospels and between all the rest of the Scriptures. Jesus didn't talk about a lot of things. Uh, and, and so, but the idea that, that Jesus, the Gospels don't talk about alternative lifestyles uh, means that you're saying that the Gospels are inspired, but Moses, the prophets, and the Apostle Paul, and the rest of the Apostles... They weren't inspired, even though it is Jesus himself who attests to the authority of Moses and the prophets. It would be like saying, I live my life by faith 
in the words that were conveyed, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Neither height, nor depth, nor principality, nor loss, or demon, or whatever can separate from me from the love of God. I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I have been called, chosen in him, through him, with him, in unity with God the Father, and all that wonderful stuff that Paul says. But the moment he starts talking about sexuality, I don't believe it's inspired by God. Oh, okay. I just need you to feel the tension. You don't get to pick on this. The trail has been clearly marked out. It has been clearly laid out. Jesus is not in conflict with anybody else in the Bible. Matter of fact, the idea that Jesus has remained silent on marriage is incorrect. When Jesus spoke about marriage, he affirmed the Genesis narrative. He once again, you know, spoke about that issue. I just want everybody to be clear and um, that, that we shouldn't be guessing about this. This is the way it is. And I know you're thinking about a loved one. You're thinking about a friend. You're thinking about a coworker. You're thinking about yourself. Maybe even here today that you are challenged with attraction issues and things like this. And let me just tell you, God is not here to perfect your humanity. He's here to enable you to become a new creation in Christ and old things will pass away. The work of God, the word of God, and the power of his spirit will always come into direct conflict with your humanity, no matter where it's pulling you. It's always in conflict with my personality. He's making all things new. And so let me encourage you, if, if you're in a place of tension, maybe in the relationship you're in right now, maybe within yourself, or maybe with the world around, remember, God loves us. He wants us to get the best. He wants us to experience his best in our lives. He's not looking to destroy anybody. I mean, he's not looking to wipe out people groups or people that don't agree with him. He's offering us an opportunity to know, to taste and see that he is good and to experience the goodness of knowing him and living life the way that he's called us to live it. I don't think it's just about biology. I don't think it's about procreation either, because many couples don't have children. It's about a deeper meaning of God. It's about God, something about marriage. He seems to be all wrapped up in it. You know, if you look at marriage and how God talks about it, I mean, all you have to do is read the book of Ephesians, and we'll talk about that next week, but he, he all of a sudden, Paul's writing about marriage, and he's talking about husbands love your wives, and then he goes, as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it, and goes on this whole thing about Jesus and the church. Our God and his people. And then he comes back to marriage again. It's because it's all, it's, it's like these fractals. It's, the, it's, it's these shapes and everything. Something about God in marriage. Something about reflecting him. Something about how we love. The ability to be diverse but unified simultaneously. How God relates to the world around him. How he wants us to relate. And he configures marriage and this trail this way. Marriage is also, I believe, a fractal of mysteries that we are unaware of. You know, it's like, because sometimes I'll experience a biblical truth, explicit biblical truth, and I'm like, I wonder why God did that. And I'll get about like the tip of the iceberg of why, realizing that bobbing below the surface of the water, that there is some mystery I, I don't know yet. I don't know how it is all connected together. But marriage seems to be one of those realities. Okay, so there we are. Configuration, 
to covenant. Now, why covenant? I mean, why make a commitment to each other? Why do this? And so you guys know that I, I just don't go with pat answers. I, my brain wrestles with this stuff. So I thought, why would we have to make a covenant? Why can't I like have like three wives, you know? I'm not that that would work for me uh, or for them, but I was like, why covenant? Why, why this kind of, this commitment thing that you've got to make? It seems like so old fashioned. And as I was thinking out, I, I kind of put this together in my head. Covenant in the time-space relationship world is a representation of the concept of eternity. I mean, I know you may not struggle with this, but I do. I was like, how would you represent something eternal? It's like, because, you know, we're limited. You know, it's, we're in time. We don't know anything, really, technically, in the, meta, in the physical world that's eternal. It's, and so how would you represent eternity? Because God wants marriage to res- represent something about him and about love. Because God's love is eternal. God is never going to fall out of love. You're not going to be up in heaven one day and God's like, you know what? I'm really sick of Laurel and Travis, you know? They are are really getting on my nerves, you know? God's not going to ever walk up to Dennis and say something like, you know, I just don't feel the same way about you as I uh, used to feel about you. We are told that God's concept of love is eternal. So if you are looking for uh, an allegory, uh, something that represented eternity, but yet in a time-constrained world, what would you come up with? Something that doesn't last, something that involves wholeheartedness, something that's committed to, something that, that goes all the way to the very end. Covenant. Covenant. It's beautiful. It's, it represents the eternity of God, the eternity of love. Covenant represents a commitment to partnership. The commitment to partnership, embracing the struggle. Now, this should challenge some of you because you're all about the configuration, but you're not embracing the challenge. Oh, yeah, you're not cheating on your spouse, okay? And that's kind of like the Christian way of doing it. It's like as long as you're having sex with the opposite sex and you're not cheating on your spouse, you're doing marriage. No, covenant is a commitment to the struggle. So when you bail on the struggle, the commitment to it, you might as well have committed adultery. Like, whoa. No, I'm serious. These three, configuration, covenant, and, and character, are all integral parts. We want to attack people because they don't get the configuration right. Well, I'm here to challenge you. The covenant part is also explicit in the word of God. So when a husband bails out on his emotions and his commitment to making the marriage better, he is violating covenant. When a wife decides that she is going to ignore and no longer interact with her husband or do the work necessary, engage in the struggle, they are violating the covenant agreement that they've made. Covenant's not just the pixie dust that the pastor says over you when you get married. It's a commitment to the struggle. And you say, well, but it shouldn't be a struggle. Really? Really? You married them because they were sharp. And you thought you were sharp. 
And you were, thought you were sharp when you picked them because they were sharp. Well, what happens when you put sharp and sharp together? You get a conflict. Any two people worth their work trying to live life out together are going to have conflict. But when the moment when one of the people decides that the conflict, I'm not going to be involved any longer, that's a violation of, con of covenant. You don't get to just bail out. Yeah, but I'm not sleeping with anybody. No, you violated another part of the, of the relationship. You violated the covenant part of it. Covenant represents the setting oneself apart to the intimacy of another. You gave them your heart. They gave you their heart. You know, and I'm, I'm in my 60s and things are starting to fade. You know, I'm standing in front of the mirror. Me and Susan both stand in front of the mirror. We shouldn't stand in front of mirrors. But we stand in front of the mirror every morning and it's like, oh my gosh, is that me? It's like, where are you? Do you remember me? You know? And, um, and I've noticed that hair, <laughs> you know, everybody's worried about hair falling out. It's amazing. As you get older, hair grows in three places in the, in the human male body. It grows in your ears, in your nose, and in your eyebrows. I mean, it's crazy. You can see the baldest man in here. The baldest man in here, he's got like a fluff coming out of his nose, you know? And it's just like, what is going on with that? And so I will stand in front of the mirror, and I will just kind of like, oh, my goodness. And Susan will say, don't look at me. I'm hideous. Turn your eyes away. And, and, um, and I, this is something just popped into my head. I have this picture in my office of, of my wife when she was 30 when we met. And uh, it's stunning. Uh, Catherine Hepburn-esque, uh, absolutely stunning. It's a black and white. I, I, I'd show it to you, but you would covet thy neighbor's wife if you saw it. So I will not show it to you. Uh, absolutely stunning. And then um, there were times like I would get that photo, year 10, year 20, year 30, and I would look at it and remind myself, this is the woman you married. And God said, that was the one you wedded but that's not the one you're married to. This is the woman you're married to. And it was like, oh my gosh, I'm trying to motivate myself to stay excited about my marriage by looking at a picture of my wife that is over 30 years old. It's like, Paul, you're looking for the wrong things in the photo. It's like, this is the one that took your heart. This is the one that gave you their soul. Name one other person in your life that gave you, gave you their soul. Your kids have not given you their souls. Your wife gave you her soul. She loves your soul. See, you don't get that in a one-night stand. You don't get that hooking up. You don't get that shacking up. Let's give it a try. Let's see if it works. You know, that's, that's not God's trail. God's trail, there's a struggle. There is a giving of the heart. And the scripture's loaded with that. But I thought God was only about making sure that you had the configuration, boy, girl, right? Let me just say, as I was explicit, not me, as explicit as the word of God was about male and female, let me just say, there is no other sexual intimate relationship expressed in 6,000 years of scripture in Zion 
other than the covenant relationship of marriage. Okay? All right? I'm, it is just as explicit as the male-female part. So there is no other trail in God's kingdom of sexual and personal intimacy between a man and woman greater or affirmed by God than that of covenant marriage. So much so that the Bible actually created two words to define sexual relationships out of marriage. Do you see how this is going to touch every one of us? Because now I'm going to get into an area that a lot of us, even myself, have, have fallen into at some point in my life. Because we thought, wow, I stood in front of a preacher, that's marriage. Oh, no, no. God is not satisfied with the marriages of Christians today. Because we just, we're just pointing out and attacking the people that don't have the configuration right. And we think we're right. Oh, I'm here to tell you, God is concerned about the intimacy issue. He's worried about the, he's not worried. He's, he's very much interested in the covenant issue. Has two words, adultery and fornication. I wanted to soften those. I looked for a version of the Bible where it wasn't like so, bleh. I wanted to find like affair and fooling around. But these are God's words. These are the words that God gave us. Fornication covers sexual fulfillment with another in a lot of different ways. Living together is one. Okay? That is not a Zion-approved trail. Yeah, but he loves God and I love God. Well, okay, that's good. Glad you got that right. So doesn't loving God mean something? You know, um, go back to the trailhead. Is, that, is this how God's defined it? Pornographic fulfillment. Yeah, I'm married to my wife. I'm, I'm you know, I'm committed. I don't cheat on her, except for about three o'clock in the morning on my phone, but I'm not hurting anyone, but it's fulfilling. And God says, it's not my trail. It's not a trail in Zion. One night stands or hookups or friends with benefits, whatever you wanna call it, it's not God's trail. It's not the trail that people in Zion are invited to walk. Our society might believe that human bodies have a simple biological urge for success and that it must be exercised. That's their trail. For them, us, as long as the activity is consensual, it is fine. Now I'm gonna put forth a couple ideas here and they're all gonna be stated for them slash us. And this is, this is gonna mean something. For them slash us, Casual sex is actually a thing. It's a way of life. It's the way it is, Pastor Paul. For them slash us, sexual compatibility, oh, you got to test it out. For them slash us, sexual fulfillment is of the most extreme high importance fulfillment of life. I won't go any further with that one. For them slash us, cohabitation is required before marriage. You're only smart to do it. Well, let me just tell you how smart it is. 80% of people who live together before marriage fail 
and end up in divorce. For them slash us, all this is right and good. For them slash us, this is moral, and to disagree with any of this is being judgmental. So why say them slash us? Because I'm willing to bet, and I know it from the scriptures and from experience, because Christians are caught up in this too. I mean, you may be here today, and you love God, and you want him to love God, and you know, you brought him to church so he could fall in love with God, but you love God, and you're living together. Like, you're really not showing him God's way. Um, some of us here, you're married, but you're having more sex with your iPhone than you are with your spouse. Say, well, that's, you know, we don't do that. Yes, 90-something percent of men, Christian men, uh, are addicted to pornography. Been there, done that. Women, the numbers for women used to be a man thing. Now I've heard the numbers are moving up in the 80% that women are looking at pornography. It's not them, it's us. Some of us inside the church, we have, have same-sex attraction to other people. Okay, this is, this is a human problem. It's not a them problem. It's a us problem. We need to get honest about it. God, God is, is challenging us about this, this issue. God wants us to experience his best. Remember, he's not, he's not all tied up about sex. He invented it. He wants us to have the best view of it. He wants us to experience relationship and intimacy at its highest level. I was looking through the book of Acts, the book of Ephesians, Thessalonians, Colossians, and Corinthians, and saw that over 10 times, the apostles and the scriptures are telling people who are believers to stop living this way. So it's not like, and we represent it this way, that God's writing this kind of stuff to the people out there, the people in Netflix, you know, the people don't go to church. The unbeliever. The apostles, when the apostles talk about sexual immorality, almost all the time they're talking about sexual immorality is not to unbelievers. It's to believers. See, this is a them-us problem. We have lost the trail. The apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God. Okay, have you ever prayed that prayer before? I just want to know what God's will is for my life. Will you pray with me what the will of God is for my life? I really want, as if there's some mystery. You know, like, we don't have a trailhead. Let's say, hey, here's a map. Here's some warnings. Here's some really cool things you're going to see on the trail. You know? I mean, it's like we act like, I got to find out some mysterious will of God. So the Apostle Paul says, I just want to make sure you guys understand this, all right? There's a trailhead. It says this, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, being set apart to God. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. He's saying this is an us problem, 
that looks very much like those who don't know God problem. He's like, this is very clear about it. And, and I told you, this was gonna be a challenging message today. Um, and I'm not above any of this. I, I believed in what is called the clean getaway. That's what I called it growing up. See, as a young man, God had been presented to me, but I wasn't really sure I was ready for the whole God thing. You know, I had some priests tell me I was going to be a minister one day. I think I was about like 17 years of age. Um, never had sex yet. And you may think that's a late bloomer, but that's the way it was. And, um, and I thought that as long as I wasn't married and didn't get anybody pregnant and didn't get any kind of funky disease, that one day I would get God, you know? And I was kind of like your age, guys. And, you know, it's like one day I'll just, I'll, uh, I'll throw the marriage switch. And the preacher will say the words over me. And there'll be nice music and everything like that. And a married man would all of a sudden emerge. And there I would be, you know, faithfully devoted. I only have eyes for you. And I thought I would get a clean getaway with all my promiscuity of the 70s. And there was a lot. But I discovered that there is no such thing as a clean getaway. God forgave all my sins. And my sins were many. But the consequences crept in. Um, I mean, it's like, I thought, well, I'd have sex with all these women. And then... I'll just flip a switch and it'll all go away. And God forgave me of all my sins, but it didn't go all away. God forgives sins, but the consequences traveled forward with me. I believe my contribution to the death of my first marriage, and that's, it's like, well, weren't you a Christian when you were married the first time? Yes, I was. Wasn't she a Christian when you got married? Yes. Didn't you get married in a church? Yes. Didn't you make a covenant agreement? Yes. It's like, you see? But we didn't walk the trail. And all that stuff just crept and it moved forward with me. I have now been married 35 years to my incredible wife. But here's what I've learned. There were narrow pathways that needed to be rerouted. There were memories that needed to be rejected. And there were mercies that needed to be received. I am 64 years old. I've forgotten how to long divide. I remember there was a thing called calculus, but I didn't know what it was used for. Um, I've forgotten the names of all the books of the Bible. Um, I think I can name all the planets Though one of them seems to always get brought in, brought out, brought in, but I'm really not too sure about this. I can remember the face of every woman I slept with. Every encounter I can remember. Why? It's like Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians. It's kind of weird. Something about, he says, he who sleeps with a 
a, a promiscuous woman becomes one with that woman and there's something soulish that goes on I, and, and I don't like I said there's a lot of mysteries there's more iceberg under the surface of the water than there is above it and here I am I've been I have never cheated on Susan I am not given to pornography and every single day a face will remind me of a woman a song will come on Van Halen or Red Hot Chili Peppers or uh, you know some song about afternoon delight will come on and all of a sudden my mind is back in 1983 the face of a person the lore of going on Facebook and thinking I wonder if what she looks like today should I reach out and tell her about Jesus you know you say well I thought you were saved I thought you loved Susan I do love Susan with all my heart nobody gets away clean we are offered to get away forgiven and it was kind of like uh, what we're offered me and Susan went mountain biking one time and it was a cruel trick that I did I she was like 60 and I'm, I'm telling you out loud she's over 60 okay I she was not mad at me I did it in the first service she didn't get mad at me she's over 60 but for some reason she just decided that she wanted to, I want to go mountain biking with you I'm like really you want to do what I love to do like the most like that's it she goes yeah I'll do mountain biking with you so I didn't like a good husband take her to the greenway you know I didn't take her to Francis Marion Forest you know I didn't take her to Columbia, the Midlands, you know, the hills. I took her to the Nantahala. I took her to Sali National Forest. I took her to Asheville, where they would used to race the mountain bike uh, championships. Uh, and, and I put her on a bike, and we went on a 12-mile trail. Not a three-mile loop, a 12-mile trail. And I remember going up the mountain, up the hill, and, and, you know, she's never done this before. All of a sudden, I look back, and there's a specialized dump jumper going all the way down the hill. Going down. She's tumbling down the hill. The bike's going down the hill. She's falling down the hill. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I mean, she took about a 35-foot spill and tumbled and tumbled, tumbled. I went down the hill to rescue my, my wife. And when I went... <laughs> When, when I got her, she got up, and her helmet was sideways. Bike helmets are stupid. I mean, they're like, what are they going to save you from? You know, they're always so. It was like she had blood running down. You know, her shins were cut up, and uh, she had thorns in her. And I'm pulling her up, and I'm pulling her up, and and um, you know, straighten up her helmet. I'm like, okay, we can stop. And she goes, no. No, and uh, she goes, how much further? I said, well, right up above here, just a little bit further, there's this really beautiful spot where we're going to get a beautiful view, and we can just rest there. And she says, okay, let's do that. I don't care how many times you've fallen off the trail. The grace of God will go down and get you. I don't care how many times you've been married. I don't care if you have same-sex attraction. I don't care how many people you've slept with. I don't care how many other high school students you sent naked pictures of yourself to. Um, I don't, I mean, and who cares what I care? God 
wants to let you know that he'll always get you and bring you back to the trail if that's what you want. He loves you. And I think everyone here probably has experienced some shame in the sexual realm of some part, whether it's shame committed against us or shame that we committed ourselves. And God wants to restore you through his mercy and his love. There's nobody beyond God's love. And God wants every one of us to experience the best views. Yes, but it's against what I was taught. But yet it's against the way that I feel attracted. Yes, but it's against, it's like, do you trust God? Lean not to your own understanding, but in all the ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Next week, we'll talk about character. But as we go to communion, we cannot travel any further on this trail if we still have shame or unforgiveness. So let me just tell you, God wants to get you back on the trail. You know, as a guy who slept around a lot, I I thought there was no hope for me. I really did. And then I discovered this verse in 1 John 1, 9, and it's for all of us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Guess what, folks? This was written to a church. This was written to Christians. Because Christians, it's not them, it's them and us that need mercy every day, that need forgiveness every day, that need to be brought back to the trail every day. So today is not about hating on anybody. It's not about trying to destroy anybody. This is about possibly wounding all of us to get us back on the trail, healing all of us, forgiving all of us so that we could experience his best. So let me encourage you, no matter what your background is, no matter what your sexual inclinations are, no matter how bad you have screwed up marriages, today the bread and the cup are offered to you just as much as they have ever been offered to you since the day Jesus died on that cross. Let me encourage you, receive the mercy of God to get back on his trail. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that when I numerously times fell off that trail, that you went down and you got me and you brought me back up. And you want to bring me to a place where we experience grace and truth and love and the deepest forms of intimacy. So God, this idea about marriage as it is presented in scripture is so much bigger than we've been told. It's so much more beautiful, fulfilling than we saw lived out before us and our parents maybe or have experienced in the past. So God, today you have wounded us. For some of us, you've wounded us in our configuration. For others, you have wounded us in our lack of keeping covenant. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. Lead us to the trail that brings forth life.
truth, joy, and peace. We receive your mercy. We receive your truth today. In Jesus' name.